HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and this is the Heritage Radio Network. Now, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, uh, you know that I used to do a show called Why We Cook before Let's Get Real. And after about two years of doing Why We Cook, I decided that I wanted to kind of rebrand and start talking about, you know, what I really like to talk about, which is foodiness. And so I got together with my co-producer, Chris, about two years ago, and we, we reformulated this show into Let's Get Real. First, basically, because I want to be the John Stewart of food. And secondly, because I wanted to have a little more fun with the show. Now, even though the show is campy and it's funny and it's, it's fun, there's a serious underlying philosophy to Let's Get Real. And that is that the messages from the real food movement to the mainstream aren't getting through because we're not being realistic and we or they assume that people care about food and where it comes from also. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, so that's why I wanted to change the brand to this. And um, as part of the whole package, we've been working on getting attention and getting media attention and creating something marketable so that, you know, eventually we could take it to TV or something a little bigger. And so far, we've had pretty good media coverage. Huffington Post, Food Republic, the New York Times, Dr. Oz, NPR, Grist, Shine, you know, which isn't bad for a little old podcast. But, um, you know, we're looking to get the Let's Get Real POV taken seriously out there. And I feel like we finally kind of crossed that line because, as I mentioned on the show last week, and you may have seen one of my, you know, 50 or 70 tweets and postings about it. I gave a TEDx talk last week out in Berkeley about uh, what's 
wrong with the real food movement's messaging. Now, TEDx, if you don't know, is regional TED. You know, there's the big TED, the like Al Gore, Bill Gates kind of TED, and then there's regional TED. It's sort of like the B-side or like the opening act TED. But it's pretty serious, serious enough that one of my co-speakers was a Nobel Prize winner and one was Deepak Chopra's daughter, although she was talking about being a mom. And um, I tweeted about it and I posted about it because I want everybody to be able to watch it. But it turns out that it's going to be a while before the TEDx talk is available because it has to be edited and then it has to be approved by Big Ted. And so because it's going to be a while, I thought that maybe for this week, um, I would bring you like a a reenactment, a dramatization reenactment of the TEDx talk. But before I get to that, I kind of want to fill everybody in on how it actually happened. And you have to go back to the launch of Let's Get Real, which was in the fall of 2011, and connect the dots. And I just want to point out how we got from launching a podcast to doing a TEDx talk in a year and a half. Um, Now, it's sort of, it was like, in a way, like guerrilla PR. Um, Now, Chris, who's my co-producer, also works as kind of the de facto publicist on the show, and he represents this fancy men's salon in Manhattan. And the owner of the salon used to give free haircuts to the editor of a Manhattan magazine, oh, of Manhattan magazine, who would then give the salon press. See, one hand washes the other. And then that editor moved on to a site called Food Republic. And so Chris knew the guy from Food Republic, and he pitched him. And that guy assigned me to write a piece about foodiness, which I did. But then the editor liked the piece, but he wanted to change it completely to something else, which was focusing on scary ingredients in your processed food, which is something I talk about it, but not really my specialty. And I didn't really want to do it. And Chris said we had to because we needed the press. So I did. And then the piece came out and I got hundreds and hundreds of hateful comments saying that I don't understand science, which I kind of don't. I wasn't really supposed to be writing a scientific piece. But then the piece got aggregated on the Huffington Post where it was liked by like 35,000 people. And then a few months later, we wrote an op-ed piece for the Huffington Post called If the Real Food Movement Expects the Public to Raise Chickens and Grow Vegetables, They're Just Going to Keep on Eating Nuggets and Puffs. Well, the Huffington Post ignored that. We're still waiting. But meanwhile, all those blog entries from all the mompreneurs that they post are so important. But anyway, the op-ed comes back shortly in the story, which is why I'm telling you about it. Cue to a year later, cut to a year later, and a producer from Dr. Oz calls Chris because they're doing a show on industrial ingredients in fast food. And this producer had done a Google search on that, found my article from the Google search, assumed I was an expert, and asked me on the show. Now, they were not at all interested in hearing about foodiness and my whole let's get real spiel, but I managed to kind of force it into the script a little bit, and I wore my little let's get real costume, and I I got the word out there. And while I was on the Dr. Oz show, I met a publicist who was there representing a fork that vibrates when people eat too quickly. Don't ask. That's a whole other story. (coughs) Turns out she's a curator for TEDx Berkeley and asked me, to do the TEDx Berkeley talk. So you see, one thing always leads to another. So we had about two weeks to get ready for TEDx Berkeley, so what did we do? We pulled out the scorned Huffington Post op-ed piece, dusted it off, turned it into a pitch, and sent it her way, and lo and behold, 
I'm asked to give a TEDx talk about why the real food movement's messages aren't making their way to the mainstream. And that's how a little old podcast from Brooklyn that nobody heard of went from zero to TEDx in a year and a half. Not to pat myself on the back or anything, but I think that's pretty impressive. And so since we don't have the clip from TEDx to play for you yet, and apparently it's going to be a really long time before I get it, I thought that tonight for your listening pleasure, I would do a dramatization, a reenactment of the TEDx talk, and I'll read you the script and I'll throw in a few witty backstory elements. And then eventually up on the Let's Get Real website, letsgetrealshow.com, you can watch the video of me doing it here and we'll put up the images that I used in the TEDx talk so it'll be almost like you were there with me. Okay. Now let me just fill you in a little bit on the backstory. I got asked to do this. I bought a plane ticket. I was in San Francisco already for something else. Bought the ticket, came home, immediately got a cold, lost my voice, didn't speak for three days in order to regain my voice. Flew out to San Francisco again, very sick. Went up on stage, got my voice back somehow, and did it without a teleprompter because at the last minute they decided we couldn't use the embedded notes in our presentation slides and I hadn't fully memorized it. And most shocking of all about the whole thing was that the crowd was almost completely under 30 but they got most of the jokes. So that's good. And there was a Jesus joke in there that I almost cut at the last minute but then I decided to use it and that's good because one of the TEDx kid curators put it up on their Facebook page. So Anyway, so here it is, my TEDx talk, but fleshed out for radio. And we'll probably take one quick break in between somewhere. This is a tale of us and them. You probably got up this morning and had yourself an us breakfast. Maybe organic milk and pasture-raised eggs, fair trade coffee, local bread. Fueling up for your day spent here on the sacred ground of Berkeley, California, the literal birthplace of the American real food movement, the place that launched 10,000 farmers markets and earth-to-table restaurants, 10,000 food co-ops and urban chicken coops. Things people like us love. And face it, we are us here, not them. You know who they are. They probably ate a Pop-Tart this morning. We wouldn't be caught dead with a Pop-Tart between these erudite jaws, unless it was organic, but I'll get to that later. I'm an us. You're probably an us. We're a tight group. Some would say exclusive, elitist, even. We might all come from one of the three holy cities of Ustom, Berkeley, Portland, or Brooklyn. I'm a Brooklynite. I'm a chef and a radio host who has the luxury of eating seasonal, local vegetables from small farms. I schlep to Union Square every week for the privilege of paying $7 for a dozen pastured eggs. I'll spend two hours in the woods on my knees to pick a cup's worth of wild blueberries. I raise my obligatory bees on my broken roof. I eat the honey on my organic yogurt. I only watch PBS cooking shows. And I read Lucky Peach. Actually, I watch Hell's Kitchen. And that's my point. Now, I try my hardest to eat food that's as close to the source, unprocessed, and generally just as real as I can get. Like I said, I'm lucky I live in a holy city, and this is my religion. Compared to the standard American diet conveniently initialed sad, in which most people today get their vegetables from veggie booty puffs and their fruit from crunch berries, I'm considered an elitist. To the tea parties, don't tread on my right to poison myself voter niche, I would definitely be considered an elitist because when it comes to food, 
I'm in the 1%. Considering I spend way more on my eggs than I do on gas, it's probably more like the 0.01%. I don't care either way. At least I'm finally in the top 1% of something. And yet I'm not totally out of touch with the 99%. I have friends who drink cupcake-flavored vodka. Okay, one. And a few who get their vitamins from purple-flavored water. I eat out with people who just want the steak and not know what the cow had for dinner. Even my Zumba teacher pounds the gummy vitamins like they're candy, which, as I have explained to him, they are. I may not be friends with anyone in the Sarah Palin cookie defender crowd or obese suburbanites who do the drive through on their mobility scooters, but I know they exist. I've seen them on TV. And since that cupcake flavoring in the vodka probably does cause cancer and the vitamins really only come from fruits and vegetables, not purple water, and that steak doesn't come just with a baked potato, but also with growth hormones and antibiotics, and that a gummy bear with added vitamin C is still just a gummy. One thing is clear. The message from the real food movement about what industrialization has done to our food isn't reaching them. They can tell you what a Kardashian just tweeted or when Kate Middleton is due, but not that most tuna is too high in mercury or that chickens are supposed to eat bugs and cow poop, not soybeans and corn, or that the pictures of vegetables on bags of veggie puffs are just that, pictures of vegetables. Now, maybe it's because I sometimes venture outside of my glass-domed burrow where my neighbors raise chickens and wear ironic eyeglasses that I can see why our message isn't getting through to the non-food-obsessed 99%. We're not being realistic. First, we're unrealistic about the fact that real food is inconvenient. It requires work, planning, shopping, cooking, plus a kitchen, time, and God forbid, even plates and utensils. It's actual work in a virtual world. Real food is also really hard to find. Walk around a supermarket, you'll see over 40,000 different products, but no food. Processed foods, on the other hand, are super convenient. All you need is a hand, a mouth, and a dollar. And if you've ever sent a Facebook birthday message instead of a card, or used the moving sidewalk in the airport instead of walking, you know that we Americans are slaves to convenience. It rules our lives. So real food can't even compete against convenience. I don't know how the Ingalls family did it in that covered wagon or even the Jodes in their old truck driving across an entire continent without a single stop at a Denny's. It's a wonder we ever made it west of Philadelphia. Most of us don't even know what real food is anymore, whether it's apple-flavored instant oatmeal or a yogurt with apple pie-flavored chunks or apple jacks. What Americans eat and drink is so far removed from its original food form that the artificial has completely redefined the original. It's like knowing who Lindsay Lohan is, but not Elizabeth Taylor. Since food is no longer a matter of survival, but rather just another service, you have to be interested in it to care about it. So being into real food and its source is more like a hobby or a fetish, like being into Star Trek or having sex in a bear suit or collecting figurines or Instagramming. Otherwise, food is just a utility like gas, electricity, or a regular booty call. We don't want to know where it came from or what's in it. We just want it when we need it and then for it to go away so we can sleep. And yet, what's the message that we, the real food elite, send out to everyone else? 
Eat seasonal, eat local, eat organic, eat real. We're telling people to make a very big effort to do very inconvenient things they may not even care about or understand. I mean, after all, what is the season for veggie puffs? Where is the protein bar ranch? Are the goldfish in my goldfish crackers farmed or wild caught? Why spend an hour grilling expensive grass-fed meat that you can't even get at your local store when you can spend three minutes buying cheap, delicious burgers without even leaving your SUV or getting off your mobility scooter? How do you know what real food is if you don't know you're eating fake food in the first place? We're going to take a very quick break at this point. And when we come back, you'll hear the second half of the TEDx Berkeley talk that I did for Let's Get Real. We'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Lung by Iggy Dean on the Heritage Radio Network.org. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery. Thank you for listening to the show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. For more information, visit Kane5.com. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a member-supported nonprofit organization. If you like what you're listening to, go to our website and click that donate button. Become a member and get special discounts, invites, VIP treatment, t-shirts, and more. Support us in our mission to bring you the freshest food content in the nation. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides. You're a host. And tonight I am giving you a live dramatic reenactment of my TEDx Berkeley talk that I did a week ago in Berkeley Um, (coughs) because the video version of it won't be up online for a while. And, you know, I thought maybe you'd want to hear it. Uh, Keep in mind also that if you're a fan of Let's Get Real, you can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. You can also find Let's Get Real on Facebook. And you can always also visit my website, letsgetrealshow.com, where you can listen to any of my past shows. You can look at some video that we've done recently of the last few shows. I also have a YouTube channel now. So many options. And, of course, you can always listen to any Heritage Radio Network show on heritageradionetwork.org or on iTunes. So there are a lot of ways to find us. Okay, so... Where were we? How do you know what real food is if you don't know you're eating fake food in the first place? Well, your great-grandma knew what real food was. I mean, there wasn't anything else but real food in her day. And eating real food didn't make you elite back then. Maybe keeping your own teeth past the age of 30 made you elite. That's all changed since the post-war years. Now, we can't tell what's real food and what's not. And that's doing some serious damage to our health. The U.S., which has 5% of the world's adult population, 
also contains about one-third of the world's excess weight. In other words, we're fat. We know that. That's pretty obvious. We've all become the waddling potato people pictured in the film WALL-E, only not nearly as cute and cuddly. Now, even my hometown of New York City, once the proud capital of too rich and too thin, now has to widen the subway seats and order heavy-duty ambulances. It's not just the 7-Elevens popping up all over New York. It's the population that will happily shop there. Bye-bye, Big Apple. Hello, Big Gulp. To solve this problem, we have to stop thinking like us and start thinking like them. We have to start getting real because if we expect everyone to care enough about their food to raise chickens and grow vegetables, they're just going to keep on eating nuggets and puffs. So let's start off with the realistic premise that Americans don't really know what food is anymore and re-educate them like this. If it walked, swam, flew, or grew, it's food. You can say this about flounder, asparagus, walnuts, but you can't about protein bars, crunch berries, or Hello Kitty gummy snacks. If it walked, swam, flew, or grew, it's food. An apple is food. Local, seasonal, organic, or even flown in in the middle of winter from chili, it's still food. Cook that apple down into applesauce or bake it into a pie, still food. But if that apple was manipulated in some way or came right out of a factory or a manufacturing plant, then it's what I call foodiness. So this is where I broke foodiness onto the mainstream, onto the world, FYI, first time, okay? Other than you guys, big deal. So an apple or applesauce is food, but industrially process that apple down into a sweetened paste and then enhance it with extra vitamin C and then pump it back into a whole grain cereal bar with added omega-3s, then you've got foodiness. Promising all the wholesome, simple goodness of an apple, but delivering all the empty, sugary nothingness of a candy bar. Foodiness bamboozles the consumer into thinking that the bar delivers more than what the apple can but without the mess or the inconvenience of the real food, and at twice the price and calories. It's just a foodiness wolf in sheep's clothing. Like Stephen Colbert, who with that one catchy silver bullet word, truthiness, helped the public understand that just because you-know-who acted like something was true, didn't exactly make it true, foodiness recasts the thousands of supermarket products presented as food, as not entirely food. Now, I don't pretend that everybody wants to come into the woods and pick wild blueberries with me. I know that real food is inconvenient. But may I also point out that so are diabetes, heart disease, and early death. So eating more real food and less foodiness may be worth the effort. It may be less interesting than Pinteresting, but it's probably more worth your time. But the reason we aren't causing a sea change in what America eats is because the movement starts where the quinoa eating us are and not where the cereal bar eating them are. The real food elite either preach to the converted, like one big organic food co-op circle jerk, or tries to inspire the scooter riders to stir fry instead of Kentucky fry. We're also bombarding people with a constant stream of confusing and often opposing messages. It's enough to give you a case of orthorexia, a newly diagnosed eating disorder where you can't eat anything because nothing is safe enough, healthy enough, or good enough. 
I'm pretty sure I have a case of that. So where do we start? Where people are? At the Mega Mart, the Walmart, or the Mini Mart? What choices are there? Simple. Eat food, not foodiness. Eat fruit, not fruit bars. Eat vegetables, not veggie puffs. If it comes in a bottle, don't drink it unless it's alcohol. Feed kids cheese, not string. Eat chicken, not fingers. These choices aren't as convenient as their foodiness alternatives, but they're closer to simply eating real food. Getting to know the food's origin, birthplace, and season can come later on. And since we're inundated with foodiness propaganda about smart foods and enhanced foods and foodiness products that are better than food and yet taste suspiciously like candy or junk, we need to work to uncast these spells with ideas that people might actually remember, like real food is already smart. If it tastes like candy, it probably is. And whole grains come from plants, not Captain Crunch. So I'm setting a very low threshold here. I don't expect everyone to grow a garden. It's more like we need a real food GPS for the takeout counter. And that's where we have to start. After all, buying a banana at 7-Eleven is way better than a banana Slurpee. Eating a thousand-mile winter strawberry is better than a strawberry Go-Gurt. A homemade burger, even one that ate corn, not grass, is always better than fast food. Human friends will always be better than your Facebook friends. And the original Stepford Wives will always be better than the Real Housewives. Creating a doable real food lifestyle at the Mega Mart, no chicken coop, homegrown vegetables, or hand-harvested sea salt required is how we reach everybody. And then we can begin to move the dial, and then eventually, the scale. We can still tweet about it and post it and pin it and Instagram it and still make it home in time to watch Hell's Kitchen. So that was the TEDx Berkeley talk that I did about foodiness, launching foodiness on the world. I got big laughs, big applause, went really well, and I wanted to bring it to you tonight. I think going from we little podcast to TEDx in a year and a half is pretty good. It doesn't just say a lot about the show, but it says a lot about the power of radio and the power of heritage radio and the power of the internet. And hopefully we can just keep reaching a broader audience as we go along. Now, before we close tonight, I do want to remind you that um, tomorrow night in New York, if you're around at the Astor Center, is the yearly fundraiser gala event for Streets International, which is a program that I've been involved with for years. It's very close to my heart. It's a uh, training program in Vietnam for severely disadvantaged kids. It trains them to work in the restaurant and hospitality and tourism industries. We're having our fundraiser at the Astor Center. There are still tickets available. Go to streetsinternational.org. Org. And if you were listening earlier on Heritage, we did a little live segment with a couple of the trainees who are here from Vietnam for the event. And if you come to the event tomorrow night, you can meet them and taste their food. And there'll be lots of other great chefs from New York in town, too. So that's it for Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. I'm Erica Wides. I want to thank my co-producer, Chris Nutter. Adam Rosenberg, cinematographer, and Joe Galarraga in the control room. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. You can find me on Facebook. You can visit letsgetrealshow.com, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.